photography has evolved from being a way of documenting the world to a way of communicating. I would say there's always been too many photographs in the world, but there's never too many good ones. The way you photograph something, the way you light something, should be as beautiful as you can make it. Business, creative, kit and careers. Find out about the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Welcome to Shutter Stories. Wildlife photographers are known for going to extreme lengths to get the shot, and they're often the images that capture the public's imagination online, raising awareness and drawing attention to species and wildlife issues in the media. Today we're talking with photographers Marina Kano, Marcus Varasuvor, and Nadia Ali to hear about the most difficult shoots they've executed in their respective fields. Marina, Marcus, Nadia, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Pleased to be with you. So first off, perhaps each of you could introduce yourselves and tell us about your field of work. So should we start with Marina? Yes. Hi. Well, I'm a Spanish wildlife photographer and I've been taking wildlife pictures for about 20 years already. And uh, I became a professional uh, around six years ago. And uh, my place uh, to photograph mainly, mainly it's Africa. Um, every species in Africa I'm really attracted to. Okay, and how about you, Marcus? Yes, uh, I have been shooting wildlife, mainly birds all my life, uh, starting at age around 15. And uh, I started to be a professional at 2005, so about 15 years now. I'm mainly concentrating on, on birds and European species are, are the ones I'm after. Okay, so, so. quite different again. And, and Nadia? Well, I'm an underwater photographer and I've been shooting since I was very young, but underwater since almost about nine years now. Three very different fields of work, so I imagine the stories are going to be quite varied from you. Um, but before we hear sort of your individual um, stories about your hardest to capture images, I'm quite interested to know what the motivation to capture the harder to get images is in the first place, the rare and unusual. Do any of you have anything to say about like the specific drive to capture the more rare and unusual? I think for me, what drives me is the animals and the species. And underwater, there's so many additional layers of challenges that you have to deal with. You know, you're dealing with visibility, you're dealing with weather, you're dealing with water. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think what drives me is, is getting those species and, and having these very rare events that happen underwater that most people never get to see and um, bringing that to them and letting them interact with the photos and educating them about different events. And specifically for me, I think my, and we can get into this later, for my um, specific, uh, I would say one of the hardest things that I try to capture is the sardine run out of South Africa. And, and so for you, it is, it's educating and awareness. It's capturing the, the sort of rarely seen events just to try and educate people that they happen in the first place. Yeah, I think for uh, the underwater world, there's so many people that don't even go into the sea to swim. So, and then, I mean, the amount of people who dive in the ocean are that much more, you know, the, the, the audience is that much more smaller. I think bringing animals, you know, especially for me on my Instagram, showing people the different animals that live in our oceans is really is really something I'm passionate about because most people don't know uh, what a hairy frogfish is or what 
a specific type of shrimps look like underwater. You know, they just usually eat them or things like that. So I think that's kind of, for me, where my passion lies. And how about you, Marina? Is your motivation the same? It's, it's just about capturing the unusual so that you can, um, you can share it with the world. Yeah, well, at, at the beginning, it was about capture a beautiful image uh, of whatever animal. Uh, that was the, the beginning, like this 20 years ago. But uh, um, after years and years to, to, to spend a lot of time with animals, um, I'm really into conservation. I'm really uh, worried about them more than worried about me taking the picture. So... Of course, I want to get a picture, and with that picture, I think we, the photographers, we have the, the opportunity to share and to get in contact with people to tell them, look, this beautiful animal, this beautiful environment where they live is in danger. This animal is trafficked, is is being killed. So we can really connect with uh, a lot of people to tell them what is going on and what we can do about it. Beyond the beautiful picture we take, that that is my evolution together with wildlife. Do you find that it correlates that the rarer or harder to capture an image, the more successful it is in its reach? I think uh, sometimes, yes, it works together because sometimes it's very difficult to capture an image and the image itself looks like uh, a normal one, but sometimes it's really the picture is telling how difficult it was or how many challenges we had to in the moment to take it. So sometimes I think it can be related. Hmm. So Marcus, as a bird photographer trying to capture often small, fast-moving subjects, what's the most challenging shot you've managed to execute? Well, sometimes uh, it can be very hard to take some behavior of birds and sometimes you need a lot of that kind of of pictures. It's not always uh, fast moving or flying bird it can be for example maybe the most difficult one i have been taking is a picture of caper kelly female and after incubating a week the hatching of the chicks and that was a long long actually i was about four full days in height to wait for the chicks to hatch and that was quite long long time and I was really happy to get the picture and that was part of my game bird book that's about the behavior of Nordic game birds. So you, you were four days in the hide and whereabouts was this? It, it was in eastern Finland near Russian border and the story was that I had to uh, actually first one nest and uh, we put a hide there put it closer and closer it takes few days because you don't you have to be very careful with the birds not to disturb them and then i went to the hide and i was prepared for five days waiting there and uh, after one hour when i just looked through my lens female was already going with the chicks away so i missed the first opportunity and then i had the other one and then i decided i will ne- i will not do the same mistake again and then i i spent four full days just waiting waiting and waiting i got got the picture i needed that's quite devastating to miss it the first time around though i mean how how often does that happen you fail quite often because you cannot control nature 
everything can happen. Of course, you can have good plans, but you never know what, what happens. The more you are out there and the better plans you have, the better chances to get the right shot. So what, what signs are you looking for? How do you know how quickly you can move closer to them and things like that? Maybe the most important thing when you are shooting wildlife is knowing their behavior, knowing how shy they are, knowing how close you can get without disturbing them. So what did you capture that shot on in terms of camera and lens? I had long lens. It was that time 600 plus 1.4 extender. So it was enough meters away from the nest not to disturb the bird. So the, the long lenses and the fact that you can capture such good images even on the very very long lenses with the is and the af you you now have actually means that you're less likely to disturb presumably or you you don't have to take as many risks yes that's right and that's one of the key things you have to take the pictures taking into account the birds and not to disturb them and when you say there for four days do you generally spend all of that time just sitting watching in case you miss it at the critical point like how much sleep do you get Yes, I, I have sleeping back there and nice tent, tent hide. So the, it's quite comfortable actually inside the hide. But of course, you have to be most of the time awake to see when it's going to happen, the hatching of the, of the chicks. So I didn't want to miss it twice. Sometimes you can see that it's not going to happen, the hatching within a few next hours. Then, then I had maybe three hours sleep and wake up call after that and then checking what's going on there. And then maybe after one hour, another two hours sleep. But that was about the amount of sleep per day. Marina, you're known for your neutral backgrounds, I'd say, and for capturing these sort of seemingly perfect moments. That must take take a lot of patience. Is your most challenging shot tied to the fact that you have to wait for these very particular situations? Well, um, for me to wait has been a learning. When I'm in Africa, that I'm not as often as I would love to be, uh, every second is precious. And and then when things are not happening at the moment that you expect it to happen and you have to come back another day and then another day, I start feeling a little bit frustrated. And with the years, I learned to, to really calm down and, and enjoy because uh, to be patient means not, it's not the opposite of being impatient because I really enjoy when I'm in, in, the, in nature. And, more and more every day so now I can just enjoy and wait that things that you have more or less planned are going to happen because as Marcus said uh, many times nature is so or, or wildlife animals are unpredictable even though you know their behavior uh, Things doesn't happen when you want to happen or when the best weather is or the best time of light in the day. So you have to learn to not uh, be so much frustrated when things doesn't, don't happen at the moment that you want it or you expect it. So, so what's been your most challenging shot? Well, um, I think the, the, there are many, but... Uh, some of them is has to see more with me than with them, with the animals or with the gear. It's all to see with me. For example, um, sometimes when shooting uh, this kind of wildlife in Africa, in Kenya, Masai Mara, or 
uh, whatever country, you know. And this case is in, in, I was in the Kalahari in South Africa and uh, we were following the wild dogs and uh, I know, or many people know how wild dogs uh, hunt. We were following them waiting for them to awake of the, of the nap in the afternoon. And they, at the early evening, they start uh, to go hunting. And uh, even though I know how they hunt, well, they, they don't uh, do it like um, lions, that they suffocate their prey. They don't suffocate, so they just uh, start eating. And it was really, really hard because even though I was prepared for, for it, but the prey in this case was uh, something that I didn't expect. It, but it was a um, baby oryx, and when I saw the scene of the baby oryx just surrounded by all these uh, wild dogs and the mummy trying to um, to protect the baby, but she couldn't, and it was just terrible. Even though when I'm remembering now, it's awful. That for me was mm-hmm. uh, the more challenging moment. I, I ever had. Yeah. I, I mean, and also that speaks to the fact that as a photographer, um, wildlife photographer, you, you can't be involved. You're just witnessing however hard the things you see, you can't actually do anything about it. It's just nature running its course. I'm interested to know what you did with those images. With these ones that I'm talking about? Yeah. Did you publish them or? No, 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 I didn't. I just, well, I... Um, I just published one, the the one that was be- before the thing happened. Just mm. uh, can I let you imagine what is going to happen? Yes, but not the disturbing moments at all. I'm not interested about that at all. Okay. So in terms of research and planning, how important is it for you? Well, I think the um, to know what you... Uh, what you want to get or do you plan which country are you going, which animal are you going to photograph and to know the um, the behavior is very important because sometimes with wildlife uh, action happens in milliseconds so you have to be really fast and prepared to know what is going to happen so you, you have to know if the animal is going to move to the right or to the left or it's going to fly or Whatever behavior you are expecting, you have to be ready with your camera, uh, get all the settings for whatever action is going to happen. So it's, it's about to, to get the acknowledge, the behavior, and to know where this species in which country, what is the best time of the year to travel there for whatever you want to do, because maybe you want rain, so you have to know where. Or you want the opposite, you want dry, so animals have to go to the water holes to drink because they can't find rain everywhere so depends on all this you prepare your uh, your gear with cameras with lenses because it's also different which gear are you going to to take depending on how you will find animals far close uh, and the weather is important as well Nadia um, as a marine life photographer I imagine the challenge is difficult again obviously the technical challenges which you've already mentioned are very different so what constitutes the biggest challenge in your work? Well, I think um, there's numerous challenges in underwater photography. Um, One of them is not being able to change your gear. So once you're underwater, um, you really have to plan for it, right? When you're in a destination, you know, you kind of have to say, okay, well, I'm going to go in with my eight to 15 fisheye. 
because you're locked in for your, you know, your 60 to 90 minutes underwater. So I think that's a, a challenge and you really need to be prepared for that. There's so many additional factors like current visibility, you know, your air supply, for instance, you know, you, you have to constantly monitor your air supply and make sure that you're not running out of air. There's just so many added uh, factors. I, I would say the most challenging uh, for me is always going to be visibility. A good example is last year, I was on a heat run with about 12 humpback whales in Tonga. And we started out that we didn't first know it was a heat run. And a heat run is uh, a lot of humpback whales and usually chasing a female is, is how we understand it. It was kind of October last year and um, it was October 17th and we went out and we were having a really slow morning. We left probably at seven o'clock. It was 10 o'clock now. And, um, you know, that's part of being an underwater photographer is you're on boats constantly all the time waiting for nature to happen to you. We got into the water and um, we didn't know there was 12 whales. Only when we were in the water did we see that there was 12 whales. And wow. what was challenging about that was that they were obviously moving and you can they can cover a lot of ground. And so they were moving in and out of clear water. So obviously when the water is less clear, you need to be closer to your subject. When they're further, you have a higher opportunity of capturing you know, a stunning image. So I think, I think that would be the most challenging thing for me as a, as an underwater photographer is dealing with visibility, especially on experiences, like I was saying earlier, like on the sardine run, to give you an example, the visibility could be half a meter and you could have 20 sharks in front of you feeding on a bait ball. And now you're like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to capture this? I can't use my strobes because it's illuminating all the backscatter. I'm going to have to go in really close. And hopefully not get bitten by a shark because yeah. eating, right? So you basically have to be in in the throng of it, but um, also not completely in the way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I would I would say that the sardine run is my most challenging experience. I've done it for you know six seven years in a row for at least a month um, at a time. And, you know, you're, you get up in the morning and it's five degrees Celsius and it's cold and you're, you're, it's like six in the morning and you have to be very prepared. You have to have your, your jacket with you. You know, there's no toilet on the boat. You're going to be on that boat for eight to 10 hours. There's no sunshade. Um, and you really, you really just have to suck it up. And, <laughs> and because when, when you find action out there, it's really it's really uh, what they call the ocean's greatest event of the year. Can you talk us a bit more about the, that that challenge? Are you photographing that whole time or is there like a very short window? And what kit are you using? Um, um, how are you positioning yourself to get it? I have multiple cameras I bring with me, but my main camera is a Canon 1DX Mark II. And I'll shoot on an 8-15 to fisheye lens. And then I'll have uh, another uh, Canon with me, a 5D Mark IV, which I'll have a 16 to 35. And the reason I have multiple setups is you don't have time to change. When you launch out of the mouth on the sardine run, you could be having action right away, or you could be, you know, you could be four or five hours on that boat with no action. You're literally going up and down the coast looking for any sign of action and action to us is like birds. Usually there's Cape gannets. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have really great action out there, you'll see it looks like there's 10,000 birds diving into the sea. 
and you can see sometimes the the sardine run the sardines like kind of bubbling at the surface you can sometimes see sharks breaching out of the water you'll i mean there's sharks whales um sometimes there's orca there's it, really you don't know what you're gonna see what's the dream shot that you're after i think it's uh, it's the animals predating on these bait balls uh with um with and the birds you know that's another dream shot is the birds diving down you've got cape gannets and you've got cormorants diving into the ocean and chasing fish under the sea and so that's something you don't see often and that's not photographed often so I think that's, I think those are a few of my ideal shots to get. Is it all about speed then for you, just capturing every frame? Or is it, you know, also, how do you even go about thinking about composition in environments like that? Well, everything is moving very quickly. And that's, again, why I have different setups, because first you need to analyze if you're going to snorkel or if you're going to go in on scuba. So you could be out on the ocean. It could be two hours. Suddenly you see action form. And I have got a couple shots that I think are really, really amazing, but I obviously want more. <laughs> so you, you're you out there on the ocean, action is gathering together. Suddenly there's out of nowhere, thousands of dolphins, thousands of birds just come together. It's, it's crazy how they work together and the birds know and the dolphins know. I, I'm not sure how all that really happens. But um, when it does happen, you have to analyze very quickly with your captain and your dive guide, and, and he they really need to be working with you as a team. And he needs to say, go in on snorkel, right? So I'm going to grab my 5D Mark IV, which has no strobes uh, attached to it. I'm going to go in on snorkel, and um, I'll go in, and maybe I'll run around for five minutes, hopefully 10 minutes, um, and then maybe I'll get back on the boat. So it's a lot of in and out, in and out when you're on snorkel. When you analyze the situation and you can see it's a static bait ball, meaning the bait ball is not moving. The dolphins have come together and they've created this bait ball and it's static and it's something you can get, you can go in on scuba. So then I'm going to grab my 1DX Mark II and I'm going to quickly put on a tank and then go underwater. And the, the longest I've ever been on a bait ball underwater is about 15 minutes. Some good friends of mine have had a bait ball for about an hour. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, um, it is quick. Now, when it comes to composition, you, you really have to work with your settings quickly, right? You really have to understand um, you're going to need a high shutter speed, obviously, the whole time. You're going to need to really uh, play with your ISO based on the, vi uh, the visibility. You could go in the water and you could have a drop where you have 10 meters visibility and then you, you could be moving with the dolphins and then suddenly you're back to one meter visibility. So mm -hmm. one, you really don't understand the situation and your uh, environment until you're actually in it. So when you get in the water, you're like, okay, this is really dark. I need to pop up my ISO. My, my shutter speed is high. I'll take a few images. Um, you really need to work quickly and you really need to understand how to use your camera but again, because the interactions are happening so quickly. How important are these technology advances? Like are you setting your, your ambitions higher because of what's possible now with technology? Yeah, but I, th I think that the technology is really, uh, is really vital to keep progressing. And for me, I'm a very short person. I'm about five feet tall. And so carrying a 1DX Mark II in a Nauticam housing with strobes is about 35, 40 pounds. And so if I'm doing snorkeling activities, it's a lot for me to push. And that's why I need to go down to a smaller camera like a 5D Mark IV, where even that smaller uh, camera body difference 
makes a huge impact on how quickly I'm able to get to the action and to the animals. I mean, Marina, though, I imagine for you, it's also going to be about the weather ceiling. Do you find that of having to be, well, you must be out in the desert and the heat and the rain and various different situations that that weather ceiling becomes very important for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to trust in the gear and the equipment in every situation is very important. With regards to what um, Nadia was uh, saying about the ISO conditions no? and the water, I imagine that the visibility is a, can be a problem for us in the light in the sunsets or sunrises when you love this uh, kind of light and it's, very, um, it's not a lot, so you have to go to very high ISO. So yeah, I, I also the, the 1DX Mark III is is great uh, performing with high ISOs. Well, three of you photograph, you know, quite glamorous subject matter. If you have anything to say about photographing and capturing really unusual or hard to capture things that are more readily accessible. Yes, I, I think it's quite easy to witness something that's not very often seen or photographed quite close to your home because everywhere there are birds, it's more up to you how much you are out there and trying to see special things and then of course having your camera with you so I think it's more or less up to you to take that shot. This makes me think of the fact that in lockdown I've seen a project on Instagram covering pigeons <laughs> which everybody has um, but it's a fantastic project that someone's just set up a camera on their balcony of their apartment and photographed the pigeon life. To touch on your point of local photography, I mean, I, I've, obviously I've been forced into local photography uh, this year, and that has been interesting because I'm usually on the road 10 months a year. And luckily I'm in California right now and I'm very close to Monterey. And so I actually have been going out there every weekend photographing whales topside from the boat. So, so outside of my normal getting in the water. Where did you start? Was it the harder to access shoots or was there something that was more readily accessible before perhaps you had the assignments and the, the personal projects you did to kickstart your career? Yeah, for me, I think um, just being a female in the industry, uh, I feel like um, there's a lot of challenges being a female and then also being a person of color. So I've actually had to self-fund most of everything that I do. And um, so when I started, I and, and still to this day, I've never really had an assignment or, or done anything like that. I just self-fund. And how I did that was obviously through different projects I have on my own. I used to work in corporate. I left corporate. I started some companies. And I, I just followed my heart, really. I really just, I have a lot of people ask me how, how to become an underwater photographer. And I think this may apply as well to topside photography. I think if you're passionate enough and you have that fire in you, you will figure out how to do it. And I think that's, for me, just what I did. I just decided one day I'm not going to work in corporate. And I literally just did everything I could to get out to where I wanted to be. And literally anywhere could be anything. So I think I first started with the Great Whites in um, Guadalupe off Mexico. And that was quite accessible because all I had to do was go to San Diego and take a bus. And then I could uh, I could get onto, onto these boats. So it's just been challenging. Um, and maybe the other uh, other guys on the call could speak to that as well. Because I think it's so interesting how photographers uh, have their story and they, and how they go about following their passion because it's not an easy road. And um, I bet you if we hear from the other two on the call, it, it's driven mostly by passion 
and that passion driving them to do whatever it takes to get to the animals they want to see. Yeah, I mean, M Marcus, how do you decide what you're going to photograph? Like, how what, how do you decide that path? Well, I have been crazy about birds already when I was about 11 years old. First notes that time I was following birds and for some reason very interested in, in birds. And I started to study them, following the migrations, following the behavior of the birds. And after that came the passion photograph them so first the knowledge and then mm. uh, photographing them it's it's very important to understand how, how the birds behave and what's the way to best way to get close to them i'm interested though, do all of you share your images on social media yeah i do yes i i use uh, instagram and facebook i mean do you know what does well and does it affect what you shoot i don't shoot for social media but I shoot for different kind of projects and I post the pictures I do myself like. I've adapted a bit to shooting in a, in a vertical frame, but that would, mm. that would normally happen after I've, I've captured uh, what I'm seeing the way I want. And then I'll you know, rotate my camera and get some vertical shots or video for creating stories and um, uh, educating people in, in that manner. Do you have any questions for each other or, or anything you haven't had a chance to say on the subject of hard to capture images? With regards to what Nadia said about being a woman, it's interesting because uh, at the end of the day, what is important is, is the pictures, but we really have it more difficult to get there. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that because at the end of the day is what are you what you are doing is these pictures doesn't matter who you are who you if you are a man or a woman is what you are doing so it's interesting that uh, just uh, I wanted just to make a point uh, about that it's something that does exist women have come so far uh, but only really in the last fifty to sixty years and we still have very far to go. Even if you look at wildlife photographers, and, and Marina, it's so great to, to meet you as well, but uh, there are not a lot of female wildlife photographers. And I just feel like, I don't think it's imagined. I think that there are less opportunities for us. And just like what you were saying, it is a lot harder to be successful. Yeah, I yeah, it is everywhere. It's not only in photography. It's everywhere. Yes. For us, it's more difficult. Why? I really don't know. But what you said about passion, and yeah. with passion, you will get whatever you want to. Of course, creativity, talent, etc., etc. But passion and work, and doesn't matter who you are. That is uh, is the point. And by the way, I'm following you, Nadia, on Instagram <laughs> right now. <laughs> nice, nice. I follow you too. Really, one of the really important things is to for you to be seen to be doing it. So it is inspiring and it is reassuring to know that it can be done and to see people in or to see women in, in this field, not just photography, it's filmmaking as well, sort of mm. walking that path to inspire other people. I think we can do it as, as uh, women photographers. I never like to say women photographers, but in this case, we are like a sample for the, the new teenagers, the new girls, the children that look at us and say, hey, this is not a, a something so strange. There's a woman photographer that can do wildlife photography, and so I can, you know, because sometimes we don't have samples. In, in the past, I didn't have any sample of a woman photographer close to me to say, hey, this is possible to do. So it's, it's good to be present, to be there, 
to be a kind of ambassador, you know, to, to be seen by others and to normalize that photography is accessible, wildlife photography and the water photography, wherever is accessible to everyone, is just about work and passion and talent. That's it. I think that's a really brilliant point to end on. Yeah, thank you all for joining us. I think it's been, well, it always captures people's imagination, I think, because it is those split second moments that you're witnessing and you're capturing them so you can share them with the masses. And it's beyond the photography community when it comes to wildlife. So thank you all very much. And if anybody listening would like to see the images we've been discussing, you will be able to find them on the Canon website. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Shutter Stories, you can rate and subscribe in the episode's listing. To find more stories and to find us on social, you can click on the links in the episode's description.